former friendly low, welcome to lovely Las Vegas. We're Ghost Cousins with myself, Greg Peters, and now a part of the Beast and Family podcast. And we've got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. Lucas Arkins does a great job over there with each XCBB. He is their main bracketology guru, and he also does a great job of being able to write up articles, do a great job with deep dives on all these teams. We're going to be joined by him in the second segment. He is going to be talking about some of the games that we've got for Sunday, some of the teams that have been rising slash falling on his big board. We're going to be taking a look at some of the teams that have been very intriguing with regards to how they've been playing this season, including Memphis, Wisconsin. So we're going to be doing deep dives on a lot of teams that are going to be in action. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some bank shots. First things first, always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. You've got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at JRSquarty1. Keep in mind, letters CM. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Really didn't get into many Twitter questions today, but we've got a lot to unpack from a college basketball Saturday that was very rambunctious. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. The day started out with Purdue getting quite a bit of a scare from Penn State. They were up double figures, so much of the second half of Penn State was able to take a 65-64 to lead before Purdue Purdue was able to pull away by kind of 74 to 67. And with this Purdue team, really since the beginning of the month of December, this has been more like a top 25 team rather than a top 5 team. I've soured on them a little bit. And Jalen Pickett is a really good player for Penn State. 21 points, 10 assists, so he certainly did his part for Purdue. They were able to get by thanks to 9 of 24 three-point shooting. Sasha Stefanovic, 13 points, 6 assists, but... Travion Williams off the bench with his 21 points, 9 rebounds. How he's not a starter on this team, I have no idea. And Zach Eady played just 9 minutes in this game because of foul trouble, but he was really able to take over this game. Houston with a win but no cover. They've been struggling a little bit more with all their backcourt pieces being banged up. 76 to 66 was the final in this one as Wichita State did a solid job of being able to force 13 turnovers on Houston. Now Houston had Josh Carlton go off for 22 points, 12 rebounds, and Kyler Edwards went 1 of 14 in this game. They're going to need him to improve upon that a little bit. Providence was able to get by against St. John's by a kind of 83-73. to 73. And for Providence, this is a team with right around the most quad one wins in all of college basketball. Iowa State is in that vein as well. We'll get to them in a few minutes. But you take a look at this Providence team, and I'm starting to buy in on them. Jared Bynum was able to give the team 18 points. And for St. John's, you did wind up having Julian Champagny be able to give you just 11 points in this game. That was a little bit of an issue as Providence. They did commit 18 turnovers, but they plowed on the glass, being able to win that battle by a count of 40-36 to 36 with no Horschler giving you 13 rebounds and Nate Watson 22 and 11. We speak of the Iowa State Cyclones. They had things tied up with about five and a half minutes left and then they just completely disintegrated down the stretch. If you like me, out of dealing on Iowa State, this was tough as they had a 10 point lead at one point in this game. They wind up getting outscored in the final six minutes by a count of 18 to 5, 79 to 66 the final. You wind up seeing Iowa State go 8 of 17 from three point range, but 0 of 1 at the free throw line compared to 14 of 17 for Oklahoma. That's where this game was won and lost. Amaja Gibson, 10 of 10 at the free throw line. He was tremendous, but 
Iowa State did not get to the free throw line at all. Isaiah Brockington, Tyrese Hunter, they combined for 40 of the team's 66 points. And for this Oklahoma bunch, they go 7-12 from three-point range. So certainly, Iowa State not necessarily as good on defense as they have been in the past. Colorado State, their defense was not necessarily great, but San Diego State's was tremendous. 79-49. to San Diego State beats the breaks off of Colorado State. For Colorado State, they did go 22 of 26 at the free throw line, but 3 of 20 from three-point range for a team that was shooting over 40% from distance. And you take a look at this Colorado State team. They just were unable to do anything late in this game. They did not score a single point in the final five-plus minutes of this one. And for Colorado State, I mean, you just take a look at it. They wound up scoring a grand total of 15 points in the final 19 minutes. That is just absolutely stark right there. Meanwhile, for San Diego State, Matt Bradley was the best player on the floor. 26 points, 7 rebounds. He wound up turning the ball over 3 times, which that's a little bit tough, but Colorado State, who had been turning the ball over just nine times per game, 17 in this contest. My New York Post play of the day was looking really good at the half. TCU winds up getting up by a count of 37 to 31. And for that matter, in the second half, they were able to take an eight-point lead on Baylor. From there, Baylor was able to take over. 76 to 64 was the final as TCU. They wind up getting just completely bludgeoned in the second half of this game. It was really a theme that we wound up seeing in college basketball. A lot of blown leads by underdogs that were, I would say, in the realm of about 5 to 10 points for TCU. They go 7 to 20 from three-point range. You did wind up having Mike Miles go off for 26 points, 5 rebounds, but for Baylor, the big key in this game, you had Adam Flagler and James Akinjo combined for 42 points. You do want to note that Jeremy Shane, he wound up suffering an injury. He wound up playing just 8 minutes in this game, but LJ Cryer off the bench, 4 of 7 from three-point range as Baylor. 13 of 27 from distance. That wound up being a big X factor. And for TCU, they were forced into 18 turnovers. So very good there. You wound up seeing some big giant underdogs wind up getting a couple covers out there in the SEC, including a stunning outright loss from Alabama. Alabama goes on the road and they lay a turd against Missouri. 92 to 86 for Missouri. They wind up going 924 from three point range, but really for Missouri. You wound up having Kobe Brown go off for 30 points, 13 rebounds. This Alabama team lost the rebound battle 43-31. to Might be one of the most befuddling teams in all of college basketball at this point, as you did have Javon Quinterly chipping their 19 points, 5 rebounds, but Alabama trying to figure them out is like trying to figure out the weather by licking your finger and just holding it up in the air. It's not necessarily easy to do. You wound up seeing a meltdown from DePaul. They wound up having a lead at the half against Villanova, and then they just completely disintegrated. Villanova gets the job done. They're able to cover by kind of 79-64 to 64 for Villanova. They go 9-22 from 3-point range to their credit. 20 of 22 at the charity stripe. Very much a veteran Villanova team as Colin Gillespie along Justin Moore combined for 49 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists, just 9 turnovers for Villanova. Now for DePaul, they only turned the ball over 7 times and Javon Freeman, Liberty, did his best to be able to keep the team in the game. 34 points and this is still a DePaul team that's been able to make you quite a bit of money throughout the season but the team went 5 of 21 overall from 3 point range with guys not named Javon Freeman, Liberty going just 1 of 13 from 3 point range as Freeman Liberty was able to do a solid job there. You wound up seeing Texas not be able to come back against Oklahoma State. 64-51 to 51 the finalists. You wound up seeing the Cowboys really be able to take it to this Texas team late in the game and for the Longhorns. I mean, the Marcus Carr experiment is just not working. 36 minutes, 1 of 6 from the floor with 4 points, 3 turnovers and 3 assists. So, boy oh boy, that was not terrific. And then you take a look at Oklahoma State. They wound up going 8 of 17 from 3 point range and this one was tweeted in by someone who has joined the 
this podcast quite a bit. Brian Rolf, you're able to follow him on Twitter at brolf33. He does a great job with each XCBB, obviously. We're going to be having Lucas Harkins coming up in the next segment, but you take a look at this tweet that he wound up sending out about our good man Chris Beard because he is revered as one of the better coaches in all of college basketball. I think that he does, by and large, a very solid job, but... The Longhorns this year are just 1-3 against teams that are in the top 55 of Kempom and Chris Beard. 10-21 and 21 the last two seasons in Texas Tech against top 55 Kempom teams. So that is something that you do want to be taking a look at a little bit more moving forward. It's certainly something that opens my eyes. UConn, if you wind up taking right around like 3.5 with them, which was available for a little bit, you were able to get the cover as they wound up playing an overtime game with Seton Hall. Seton Hall gets the job done by a count of 90-87, to 87, despite UConn going 14-23 of 23 from three-point range. Big for Seton Hall in that they were able to get Ike Obiagu back out there on the floor along Tyree Samuel. Now, Samuel had 7.7 rebounds, 3 blocks. Obiagu 6 blocks and 2 points. He's getting more blocks than points or rebounds, so he's been able to do a stellar job there. And Kadari Richmond, someone who I've always liked at both Syracuse and Seton 27 points off the bench. That wound up being a big giant X factor. Both of these teams, I think, are going to be forces out there in the Big East. The Big East really proving to be very solid this season. LSU is proving to be very solid as well. The number one defense with regards to efficiency coming into this game. One of the few overs that they played all season long. That's because they racked up 79 points on Tennessee. 79-67 to the final. They wound up having a big giant performance out of Darius Sace. Was able to give the team 15 points, 8 boards before he fouled out. Patari Eason off the bench. 24 points, 12 boards. And this is a 10 see bunch at their outside shooting is starting to fail them. 6 of 24 from three-point range, 23 of 37 at the free throw line. Kennedy Chandler had himself a solid day with regards to scoring at 19 points, but also six turnovers. So a little bit of suspectness there. You wound up having Kentucky get the win, but no cover against Georgia. 92 to 77 for Georgia. They went 8 of 17 from three-point range and 19 of 21 at the free throw line. So they needed unreal shooting just to be able to hold in this game. They've been struggling ever since Jalen Ingram wound up going out for the season. But how about Oscar G. White? 19 points. 17 rebounds. A tie tie Washington had 17 points and 17 assists. So 17 must have been the lucky number for Kentucky as they wound up being able to shoot 57% from the floor themselves. So even though they don't get the cover, they certainly did look relatively solid there. Texas Tech looked very solid as well. They were down Terrence Shannon. They were down Kevin McCullough, but Mark Adams flat out knows how to coach. 75-67 to the final for Kansas. Another over for them. They played right around 70% of their games to the over. They go 10 of 26 from three-point range. O'Shea Ogbaji kept the team in it. 6 of 9 from three-point range. He was able to contribute 24 points, but 17 turnovers for Kansas. That's what Texas Tech has really been able to do with regards to both Adams and Chris Beard. You wind up having Bryson Williams chip in there. 22 points, 8 rebounds. He did an absolutely stellar job. If you're looking for another team that is highly ranked that wound up going down on Saturday. Look no further than Duke. They wind up losing at home to Miami 76-74 for Miami. They go just 4 of 16 from 3-point range and they had been shooting really well from 3-point range but just 5 turnovers in this game. Meanwhile, Charlie Moore, he had 7 steals all by himself. Miami had 15 steals and they committed 5 turnovers themselves. That was the key in this game. Wendell Moore, he did his part for Duke. 12 points, 12 rebounds, 7 assists. Paul Boncaro, even though he did have 20 points, he did wind up having a pair of air balls in this game. So, hit or miss Aaron for more 6 turnovers. So, that wound up proving to be very costly as you did wind up having Duke winning the battle on the glass by kind of 44 to 31. And they did wind up going 14 of 17 at the free throw line, but for Miami, you just wound up having all of your starters, aside from Sam Wardenberg, who was able to chip in their five assists and four rebounds, score at least 14 points in this game. Miami not necessarily deep. 
But boy, oh boy, that front line is solid. If you wound up jumping in on Cal late, you were barely able to get there with the cover. 60 to 52, UCLA able to get the job done for Cal. They wind up going just 1 of 14 from three-point range, but... The reason why Cal has been able to make you quite a bit of money this year, Andre 3000 Kelly, 22.6 rebounds down low as Cal, they do wind up winning that rebound battle by kind of 37 to 27. They were able to get 13 offensive rebounds, just a night in which the shots weren't falling. Grant D. Savage wound up going 1 of 11 from the floor credit UCLA. They do have a very solid defense at Tiger Campbell. What has been a big revelation for UCLA, he is shooting it really well right now. 7 of 10 from the floor, 17 points, 4 assists. Did wind up having 3 turnovers in this game, but you also have Cody Riley back in the starting lineup. He had 9 points, 4 steals, 5 rebounds. So it's a UCLA team that certainly is going to be worth monitoring moving forward. And you did wind up having John E. Juzang be a game-time decision. Did wind up playing, didn't necessarily look 100%, 9 points in this game. So that is a little bit of something to monitor moving forward. Auburn, they were able to do a solid job against Florida. This is a number that opened up right around 9. It wound up closing more around 7.5 to 8, but... Auburn was able to cover all numbers, 85-73. to 73. They were able to get the W. As for Florida, they do wind up being able to hit a couple threes in this game, 6 of 22. They have been very hit or miss with that aspect. But for Auburn, how about what you were able to get out of KD Johnson with 23 points in this one? Jabari Smith did not wind up having the world's greatest game with just 13 points, but it was really an all-around good Auburn performance in this one as coming off the bench. Jalen Williams was able to give the team 14 points. And you take a look at Florida. Colin Castleton had 22 points, center rebounds, but for this Florida bunch, you could tell that they just were unable to keep the Auburn Tigers off the glass. They wind up losing the rebound battle by kind of 39-31. to 31. And for Auburn, you did wind up having nine blocks in this game, including three of them from Walker Kessler. So they were able to own the paint. Due to the timing of this podcast, I'm not able to give you the set final from Gonzaga versus Pepperdine. The second half just started. We're four minutes into the second half of Gonzaga at 78 points. So that tells you all that you need to know. There, Gonzaga's back. They look really, really good. I mean, in 24 minutes of play for Gonzaga... You've got Drew Timmy with 15 points, 5 rebounds. Chad Holmgren, 14 points, 6 boards at Pepperdine. Well, they're going to be in for a long year out there in the West Coast Conference because they're currently trailing by 34 points while going 6 of 17 from 3-point range. So I think that that's all that needs to be said on that front. But if you're taking a look at more off-the-beaten-path sort of games, Utah State and New Mexico wound up going to overtime New Mexico. They're dealing with Jethro Muscadet, who wound up getting into a very serious car accident. But this is still a New Mexico team that I think is going to be able to make you a lot of money moving forward. Bookmakers have not necessarily adjusted on them the world's greatest, so I think that that's worth watching out for. Missouri State just seems to be a little bit all over the place. They wound up getting up big against Northern Iowa. They were up double figures throughout much of the first half, and then they wound up completely melting down. Northern Iowa, 85-84 to 84 winners with A.J. Green going off for 33 points in this one. Northern Iowa has actually really cranked up their tempo. They have been a very good over team this season, so that is worth monitoring. Mississippi Valley State. The Delta Devils were able to get an outright win. This is the first day since 1933 in which Chicago State and Mississippi Valley State won on the same day. And on that day, I believe Mr. James Naismith himself wound up viewing both games. I am obviously joking on that, but I mean, it almost feels that way. Absolutely insane. Florida State, they were able to take it to Louisville by kind of 79 to 70 for Florida State. Certainly has been a little bit of a trying year for them, but they were able to get up 10 points going into the half. They wound up putting up 50 points in that first half. 8 of 23 from three-point range, but the big thing for the team is that they turned the ball over just six times. That had been really a woe for the team or for Louisville. They just seem a little bit out of sorts for this bunch. You do have L. Ellis who was able to come in off the bench. He was able to give Louisville 14 points and really has been one of the brightest spots for this team, but certainly a team that seems to be a little bit of a work in progress right now. 
South Dakota State, not a work in progress. They get a win and cover over South Dakota by a count of 84 to 65. That Oral Roberts team that we wound up seeing from last year, they appear to be back in full force if they're able to make the NCAA tournament. Look out, 87 to 86. This is a line that wound up closing right around two and a half to three. So Western Illinois was able to get the cover. This was one that was very herky-jerky all along as Western Illinois wound up getting up by double figures and then Oral Roberts was controlling the second half. But Max Aismith, 32 points, 11 assists, five rebounds. He was absolutely insane. And for Western Illinois, you wound up having every one of their starters go off for double figures as well with four bench points. So I thought that that was very entertaining. Clemson has been looking relatively solid this year. They wind up going on the road. They take down NC State by kind of 70 to 65. Now, this guy would be getting some consideration for player of the year if he was on a better team. Deron Sebron with another big game in this one. 27 points, seven rebounds, but he's sort of the lone wolf in a one-man wolf pack. Meanwhile, you take a look at Clemson and been a team that has shot it well from three-point range all season long. Just three of ten in this one with guys not named El Amir Daz going one of eight, but P.J. Hall, 20 points, five rebounds, and then David Collins was able to chip in their 11 rebounds, 16 turnovers for Clemson, but they were able to overcome that because they wound up getting 15 turnovers of their own, and they were able to do a nice job of being able to control things inside as they were able to get five blocks in this one with P.J. Hall providing four of them, so he really came up in a big way. North Carolina wound up having Armando Baycoat go off for an absolutely insane performance. 29 points and 21 rebounds as North Carolina takes down Virginia by a count of 74 to 58. It's a North Carolina team that's been up and down, a Virginia team that's been up and down as well. But for North Carolina, 11 of 25 from three-point range. This is not the Virginia team of past years. Brady Bannock, 19 points, 5 of 9 from distance. You did not wind up seeing in this game Dawson Garcia, and yet North Carolina was able to get by him for Virginia. They went 6 of 12 from three-point range, turned the ball over 10 times, but they got bludgeoned on the glass. They had 28 rebounds, and by himself, Armando Baycoat wound up having 20 one of them. So that's been tough. Arkansas really plummeting down my power rankings right now. They go on the road and they lose to Texas A&M by kind of 86 to 81 at Texas A&M. They're starting to ascend in my opinion. You take a look at this team. You've got a guy that comes off the bench in Quentin Jackson who had 16 points, five rebounds, three assists, Mr. Versatile for the team. And for Arkansas, they just seem broken. 28 turnovers in this game. They shot six of 19 from three point range, but They've been one of the worst power conference teams in regards to being able to guard the three-point arc in all of college basketball. And J.D. Note wound up doing his best impression of Carmelo Anthony. Wound up having 31 points, five turnovers on 23 shots. So he was trying to take over the game and was able to do a relatively solid job, but certainly left a little bit of something to be desired. Kansas State and West Virginia are two teams that have been going through COVID-19 protocols. Both of these teams wound up having a few of their guys wind up getting back out there on the court. And for West Virginia, they got the win, but no cover by kind of 71 to 68. Looks like they should be at a little bit more full strength when it comes to next week. So that is very encouraging. Davidson, who has been one of the best cover teams in all of college basketball, a non-cover but an outright win against Rhode Island by a count of 72 to 68. And Rhode Island, they themselves have been a relatively solid cover team. Foster Lawyer, 19 points in this one. You take a look at what you were able to get out there in the Sun Belt and Georgia Southern. If you, like me, wound up having them and the under, this was absolutely brutal as Georgia Southern was up by a count of 62 to 51 with about four and a half minutes ago. And for that matter, you take a look at things, and Georgia Southern was up by eight points with about a minute left to go. Games winds up going to overtime. You wind up getting the over, and that was a 74-73 to final, so that was a little bit tough. 
Long Beach State looking like a little bit of a fade when you wind up losing to Hawaii on your home floor because Hawaii, they always have to go away from the mainland. You know that it's not necessarily going so impressively there. Loyal Chicago was in a bad scheduling spot, but give credit to Bradley. This is a game that wound up going to overtime after Loyal Chicago took down San Francisco in that game in Salt Lake City. They were able to get the RA win. Loyal Chicago was by a count of 78 to 71. For Loyal Chicago, Lucas Williamson was able to give the team 20 points, but do not sleep on the Braves as well. This has been a team that has been covering quite a few games games recently. They wind up being able to overcome the fact that they weren't necessarily stellar with regards to their three-point shooting, but Bradley, a relatively well-coached team under Brian Wardle, so that was very highly entertaining. If you wind up taking a look at Drake versus Evansville, much like myself, not sure about you guys out there on the East Coast, but out here on the West Coast, I did not wind up seeing a betting line come up for that game, and that's something that you're probably going to be experiencing a little bit more moving forward when you do wind up having these pop-up games because that was a game that was scheduled pretty much 24 hours in advance. I think that a lot of bookmakers just wanted falling asleep at the wheel and had no idea that the game was going on. So that is obviously a tough situation. And this was a tough situation for Mississippi State. They were without Tolu Smith once again. And they wind up losing to Ole Miss by a count of 82 to 72. For Mississippi State, they wind up going just 3 of 16 from 3-point range. And for Ole Miss, without Jarkel Joyner, their top scorer, they went 11 of 23 from 3-point range. And you wind up having a signature performance from Matthew Morrell. He was able to chip in there 31 points, went 5 of 5 from 3-point range, 10 of 11 from the floor, and nice here, Brooks. 15 points, 16 rebounds. It's going to be really interesting to take a look at the middle of the SEC, and going to be really interesting to take a look at some of these teams out there in the Pac-12 as well, because you do wind up seeing Washington State go on the road and get a win in a tough place to get a win. Utah, 77-61. The mountain road trip is one of the toughest that you're going to find, and Washington State being able to pull out a win is big. You wind up having Tyrell Ghost Roberts go out for 17 points, Braden Carlson did not wind up playing in Utah. That is a big tidbit moving forward. And for Utah, 5 of 22 from three point range. They were able to do a good job of being able to get to the free throw line, but it's a Utah team that they just seem a little bit rudderless right now. A man that is never rudderless is our good friend Lucas Harkins. We're going to be talking with him in a second right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Eves Peterson. But got to take a look at what we wound up seeing with regards to trends in college basketball from the last week or so because we are now seeing more conference play. We are seeing things be able to get dialed in with that regard and home underdogs. 35, 48, and 2 against the spread over the last seven days. I don't know about you, but I'm excited because I think that we are going to see a big run on home underdogs moving forward. And we have seen 59% of college basketball games go over the total in the last seven days. If you take a look at what we wound up seeing in the NBA, where you wind up having like 60% of games go under in the first month of the season, you've seen a big run on overs ever since then. I think we could see a big run on unders in college basketball along with home underdogs moving forward with this data. So that's something that I'm taking a look at. And underdogs overall, I do want to throw this out there. Road underdogs, 93-65 at once. So underdogs in general have actually been doing really well, but it's been road underdogs, not home underdogs, that have been coming through for you. So I think that that is something to take a look at moving forward and Lucas Harkins he does a great job of just looking at college basketball in general going to be chatting with him about the card that we're going to be seeing on Sunday and some of the teams that have been ascending slash declining in his bracketology that's up next right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself Greg Spears and now part of the DC Family Podcast 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Vegas for Just Cause Hoops with myself, Greg Eves, and now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and it is great to be joined by our guests as this man is Mr. Bracketology over there at HeatCheckCBB, and HeatCheckCBB is doing great work there at HeatCheckCBB on Twitter, so easy enough there, but this man does great work with Bracketology. He looked much like myself, a diehard Milwaukee Bucks fan, so we like those people on this podcast, and Lucas doing a great job holding it down in the Midwest, taking a look at all things college basketball, doing a great job with written work and so much more over there at HeatCheckCBBN. To be able to follow Lucas on Twitter, he is at Hardwired Sports Altogether. And Lucas, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. And Lucas, you do a very, very tough task of being able to take a look at bracketology. And when you've been putting together your recent brackets, what has really stood out to you? Because I feel like there's just a lot of teams in between. We're going to call it like the three seed through the eight seed range. And they're very, very similar because you've got a few teams that they are towards the top, more of your title contenders like your Dukes, even for lesser extent, Purdue, Gonzaga, what have you. But I feel like after you wind up getting to, I would say about number eight, things become very, very muddled in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And part of that to me kind of deals with teams that just had very different approaches to non-conference schedules, like a, like a Villanova that has a few losses already on the resume, but has played tough competition, has a big win, most of their losses to really good teams versus, say, a Kentucky that played mostly a non-conference schedule that was pretty weak and doesn't really have those quality wins, but also doesn't have the losses. So I think those are things that generally in the middle of the bracket are going to sort themselves out over the next couple of months. But right now, it really is difficult to juggle what matters at this point and what doesn't. Yeah, I do think that it's going to be really intriguing to take a look at that. And when it comes to how you've been putting together a bracketology, how much have you taken into account some of these teams that have been playing without guys due to COVID-19, some of the COVID pauses? Because I know that that was very much a hot-button topic last year, especially with teams playing an unequal amount of games. And I think that we're going to have a little bit more of an equal amount of games this year. We're not going to have something like where we had Colgate only playing conference games or anything like that. But I have to think that that winds up putting in there a little bit of a wrinkle as well. Yeah, quite frankly, I don't know. Last year, I put a little bit more emphasis into it, partially because, as you mentioned, uneven scheduling. But this year, I haven't really put much emphasis into it yet, particularly because there isn't that much of a committee precedent for them doing it, aside from the Notre Dame team with Bonzi Colson a few years ago, which even then was kind of a... 50-50 toss-up. So I haven't really put too much into it yet, and I think that we'll maybe 
as the season progresses, maybe certain teams will have a boost in that department because maybe one of their star players misses several games or for that reason or another. But generally speaking, it's not that often that just one player is out. If you're going to have missed multiple games in a row, the team's just going to be on pause anyways. I'm not sure how much of an impact it's really going to have on seeding and selection because I don't know how much the committee is necessarily going to look that deep into teams to determine that. I think they'll generally kind of put an overview on every team dealt with this even playing field, even if that's not necessarily the truth. Yeah, but I do think that you've got to gauge the committee by the year because there are some committees that they value some things over others. You wind up getting a new one every single year. So that makes things all the more difficult. I always talk about it when it comes to betting on like any sort of an MVP award in any sport, trying to put your minds into some of the writers in your case, the committee, sometimes not necessarily the world's brightest of places. That can be very, very difficult as we do have Lucas Harkins joining me on the podcast. But when it comes to the actual play that we've seen out there on the court, who have been some of the teams that have been rising slash falling on your big board the most? Because I have to imagine teams like in Iowa State, for instance, they have to be one of the fastest risers, obviously, Oregon from the beginning of the season. Boy, oh boy, that has been a big giant calamity. But we're a couple teams that really stand out as two teams that have either been ascending or declining. You know, I think the team to me, Wisconsin and Xavier, I think have both been very impressive uh, compared to preseason stuff. And for different reasons. I mean, I think Wisconsin has had the benefit of Johnny Davis probably being the national player of the year favorite right now. Xavier, I entered this year feeling as though they had maybe the best roster in the Big East, but I wasn't quite sure how far Travis Steele would take them. And so far, they've been very good. And I think that's a dangerous team because they go five or six deep with a lot of guys who can score and they're really physical and athletic. I think that's a really good team. I think those are probably the two that have stood out most to me, really rising into that national top 20. Yep, I do think that you're right on with regards to that Wisconsin team. Now, the question is, can they maintain with a guy like Johnny Davis just doing it all for the team? And I do think that we're in a very interesting spot with Wisconsin because they are going to be taking the floor on Sunday. They are going to be playing against Maryland, a Maryland team that has been up and down themselves, obviously going through a coaching change midseason has been very intriguing to take a look at but when you take a look at this spot Maryland versus Wisconsin what are your takeaways on this one because I do think that Wisconsin should be a slight favorite in this game but I fear it might be a little bit of a letdown spot after having big wins against Iowa and also Purdue yeah I think that's fair especially with an Ohio State team coming to town later in the week where they're going to want to get revenge after getting blown out in Columbus so I could see that as kind of a look-ahead game I don't think Maryland is very good plain and simple I just don't think they're a very good team so I agree with you Wisconsin's probably Probably a slight favorite, somewhere in that two to four range, probably for me. We're seeing it right now. Wisconsin finding themselves a one to one and a half point favorite. So we've got a relatively tight line on that one. And when it comes to Sunday, we actually do have quite a bit of Big Ten action. Not sure what your takeaways are on Minnesota, but they've obviously got a massive opportunity to make a statement on Sunday when they hit the red face off against Indiana. As we know, the win that Minnesota wound up getting against Michigan, that is beginning to look worse and worse as Michigan. Right now is 500, which I never thought we would be in January saying that, but I don't think that Minnesota is going to be able to pull this one off outright, but I think that they're going to be able to hang in there, give give Indiana a good test because I'm not necessarily sold on this Indiana team myself. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Minnesota is definitely one of those teams that I think from a bracketology perspective, you look at and you think, oh, 10-2, and two, the win on the road at Michigan. Sounds great in theory. And a Mississippi State win. That sounds great in theory, but they just haven't really played an incredibly difficult schedule to date, and they haven't really picked up those great wins that they need 
So, yeah, this two-game stretch for them, they go at Indiana and then at Michigan State. Going one-and-one one would be awesome. And I think that Indiana is probably their best bet at doing so because I don't, I, I really like Michigan State this year. And the Hoosiers, I think, TJD is fantastic. But if Parker Stewart isn't hitting shots, their backcourt is questionable, I would say. Yeah, I do agree with you. When it comes to Indiana, Trace Jackson Davis is the entire team. A possession which you don't wind up having Trace Jackson touching the ball, I think is a waste of possession, in my opinion, when it comes to Indiana. It's certainly when they wound up not giving him the ball when they were up 20-plus points against Wisconsin. Still one of the more befuddling things I've seen this college basketball season. As we do have Lucas Harkins joining me on the podcast. Lucas, a team that I know was in your bracketology in the preseason. Probably not so much now. That would be Memphis. They've got a good opportunity against Cincinnati. I think that this is going to be a big measuring stick game for Memphis. They've been dealing with all sorts of injuries. Jalen Duran is currently a game-time decision. I mean, I take a look at the roster. Quite honestly, half the team is about a, a game-time decision in this one. And then for Cincinnati, they have been very mind-numbing as well. They wind up being able to get that win against Illinois. They wind up being able to knock off SMU a couple days ago, but they took that terrible loss to Tulane. Their offense... They don't necessarily look so great there. I don't know what you make out of both of these teams, but I think that it's going to be a fascinating game on Sunday. Yeah, it's the battle of teams who couldn't be Tulane, and I'm not sure that's a compliment to either one of them. I think Memphis is the better team, I think, overall, and they'll have home court advantage. I think Memphis should win this game. I just really have no idea what to make of Memphis. They went at home against Alabama, which maybe isn't aging as well as we once thought. And I think their Wichita State and Tulsa wins are okay. But they just have a weird, or just a weird season altogether. They've been disappointing, but I'm not even sure I'd put them in my top five most disappointing teams this year. They're just kind of hanging around, and I think they'll probably hang around the bubble conversation probably all year. Yeah, it's been so intriguing to take a look at both of these teams because I know that there were a lot of people that were in on Cincinnati in the preseason. I wasn't necessarily so much. I've been coming around on them a little bit, but I still feel like they're like a recipe that's missing an ingredient or two, but it still is relatively solid. Sort of like bad pizza. Bad pizza is still pizza. So you've got that going on. And for Memphis, we all know what the issue is there. Penny Hardaway has no idea what he's doing with regards to coaching, but he's got a whole bunch of talent. So that has certainly been an intriguing thing to take a look at. How about if we take a look at a mid-major team that I'm pretty sure is cracking your bracket right now? That would be Oakland. They're going to be playing those UW Milwaukee. They're finding themselves right around an 11 to an 11.5 point favorite. If Oakland makes the NCAA tournament, I think that this team could be a force. If they do wind up making it, where do you think that they will wind up going with regards to seeding? Because I think that this is a team that just from my eyes, I'd probably be putting them more in that 13 to 14 seed range with the way that they wind up scheduling, what have you. But I think that this could be a really dangerous team if they wind up going dancing. Yeah, I have the Grizzlies on the 14 line right now, and I think that that's probably going to be about where they stay on that 13 or 14. As you mentioned, I think they're the best team in the horizon, and I think that they have the advantage of if they get to the NCAA tournament, they have a player with high major experience that has been an absolute star this season. Jamal Kane has been so good. The Mark transfer has been one of the best mid-major players in the country, and pairing him with Jalen Moore has given them just an outstanding duo to build around. That's a team that is dangerous. I agree with your assessment there, that they play defense well, they defend the three-point arc, and being able to be balanced and make things happen offensively and defensively sets up for an upset. Yep, I think that Oakland is certainly going to be a team that you don't want to be seeing in March, and we saw what they were able to do against Michigan State in that interstate rivalry, and that was a really good one. And what else is going to be a really good one, in my opinion, is this Northwestern versus Ohio State game. Now, as we know, 
One of our good friends out there, John Rossin, has made a whole bunch of claims of Northwestern being able to make the NCAA tournament. He is going to be honoring a happy hour for all of you guys that are Northwestern alum and fans out there if they don't wind up making the tournament. And this could be the make or break game right here. We've got Ohio State as quite a bit of a favorite. Ohio State has been a little bit of an enigma for me because I really liked them after they were able to get that win against Duke. They look terrible, but against Indiana, I feel like this is a team that they either play up or down to the moment. Meanwhile, you've got a Northwestern team that I do feel like they have the pieces to actually be a solid team. I just don't know if I trust them, Mr. Collins and company to be able to put it all together. I don't know what you make out of this game, but I think that this is a massive one for really both teams. Yeah, it feels like Northwestern, and I'm not trying to dig them on this. If you remember, they kind of feel like that Clemson team from a few years ago that kind of ranks really high in quality metrics and is going to finish like 2-8 and eight in quad one games or whatever that team did in like 2016 or 17 Clemson. I feel like Northwestern's always going to be kind of a pest that stays within a few possessions of really good teams but isn't quite there. That's how their season has been to date too. Five-point loss to Providence, overtime loss to Wake Forest, six points to Michigan State, four to Penn State. And they only went over a top 200 Ken Palm team is Maryland, who we've already discussed. So I don't know if Northwestern's really a team that's going to contend for an at-large bid. And I don't know if that has anything to do with their talent level. I think it's just, can they close out games enough to make that happen? Yeah, I'm right there with you because this is a Northwestern team that they've been very efficient on offense with regards to turnovers on a per possession basis. One of the best teams in all of college basketball, but certainly a team that it just feels like they need a little bit more of something else. I don't know what that something is. I will throw that out there right now, but it certainly has been intriguing to take a look at that. And when it comes to what we're all seeing on Sunday, is there any other games that you're really going to have your eye on, Lucas? Because we do have quite a bit of Horizon League action. The Colonial is going to be going down. We want to mention a lot of the Big Ten games there. We do have a Pac-12 game between Washington and Colorado as well. I'll be very, very stunned if either of those teams are even sniffing the NCAA tournament bracket. But anything else really sticking out for this Sunday? Yeah, I think I'll have my eye on Hofstra versus James Madison. Hofstra's played pretty darn well of late, especially since they got Jalen Ray back the last 10 or so games. But they also lost on the road in their CAA opener to William & Mary. And that's a real head-scratcher. So I think that they'll need to get back on track against the James Madison team that has played pretty well this year. I think that's probably the mid-major game to watch on Sundays, just to see how that result plays out. Because I could see Hofstra being a team that makes the tournament and maybe throws some high majors into a little bit of a disarray as they look to game plan for that group. And I do think that Charleston out there in the CAA is really intriguing as well. A team that, with regards to possessions per game, they have just cranked it up. They are in the top five in the country with that regard. Pat Kelsey is a guy that I love as a coach, and he's doing some good things over there at Charleston. They've got I John Bates. I love Rain Smith at Charleston. He's been cold a little bit, but I, there's something about those Aussies, him and Taryn Armstrong, that have just been so interesting this year. You love Smith. I love John Meeks because I've always had a little bit of a soft spot for players that used to play at Bucknell. He has been absolutely awesome for the team. He wound up averaging 25 points per game in like six games last year. He's come into Charleston and wherever he's been out there, he's been able to light it up. Both of those guys are a whole lot of fun to watch. And what else is a lot of fun is being able to take a look at all of your work, Lucas. You do a great job with regards to bracketology, all of your written work over there at Heat Check CBB. I know you've got a couple irons in the fire and you do a great job with being able to keep up with everything. So love to get people at home, know how they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you've got going on in general. Thanks, Greg. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Hardwired Sports all together. Got content on Heat Check CBB coming every day, or at least every week. Try to have stuff out Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then I got Butler content on my Patreon if there's any interest in that.
Lucas doing an absolutely terrific job of taking a look at college basketball from both the lens of Butler, a little bit more Midwest-centric, and then he goes national with regards to his bracketology. Does absolutely amazing work on that front end. Always brings it whatever he's on this podcast. So big thanks to Lucas for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the college basketball betting board for this Sunday as we hit some bank shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Pierce, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Always a pleasure to get on our good friend over there with Heat Check CBB, Lucas Harkins. He does a great job with his bracketology, does a great job of having his finger on the pulse of all things college basketball, and much like myself, a Milwaukee Bucks fan. So a big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time the podcast. They give you picks and analysis for every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1. Going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. We've got really two extra games. So pretty much this is all the games that aren't out there in the Atlantic Sun first in time order. And then the games in the Atlantic Sun are going to be the extra games. So I'll put that to you as easily as humanly possible. So we're going to be starting with this first game of 821-822 on the betting board. Minnesota, the state with the smallest strengths in the union. It's a road face off against Indiana. Indiana is between an 11 and an 11.5 point favorite. And your tallest game is anywhere between 131.5 and 132. And in this spot, I'm taking a look at Minnesota. I wind up saying this line more around 8.5. You've got a Minnesota team that they do have Sean Sutherland, who's dealing with a little bit of an injury, but by and large, everyone else should be out there, including Jamison Battle, who's been able to give the team 18 points, 6 boards, shooting 36% from 3 overall. Minnesota's shooting 35.5% from 3, just 9.5 turnovers per game. And Minnesota, by and large, has been able to do their best work on the road. You take a look at what this team was able to do going on the road, knocking off Michigan, granted a down Michigan team, but still was able to get the W. They went on the road. They took down Mississippi State as well, so they've already got some good results. And for Indiana, you do have Trace Jackson Davis, one of the best players in all of college basketball. 20 points, 8.5 rebounds, 3 blocks per game, but this is an Indiana team that's unstable with regards to their backcourt with 14 turnovers per game. They don't force a lot of seals as well. You do have Race Thompson, 
been able to give this team 11 points right around 8 rebounds per game and this is not a Minnesota team that has ideal size but Eric Curry is able to give you 6.5 rebounds per game I do like what you're able to get out of the duo of Peyton Wills and EJ Stevens. They have been able to combine for about 26.5 points per game they combine to shoot a little bit under 44% from 3 point range. Now free throw shooting is a little bit of a wolf for both of these guys but overall Minnesota they shoot about 78% at the free throw line and they do a good job of not turning the ball over right around 9.6 turnovers per game on the top 10 marks in all of college basketball. I wind up saying this line at 8.5 as a result. I do think that Minnesota, a relatively slow team, is going to be relatively efficient. I think that they're going to do a good job against a backcourt that involves guys like Miller, Cop and company that have been solid three-point shooters for Indiana. Indiana overall, they are shooting about 34.5% from three-point range with Cop shooting 37% from distance, 7.5 points per game, but guys like Parker Stewart, Rob Fennessy, they are very hit-or-miss guys with Rob Fennessy. They've been averaging right around 4.5 points per game, but that's given the team 6-plus in 3 out of the last 4, but you never know what you're going to be able to get it from him, so I'm going to be taking a look at the points. And I did wind up saying this total 132.5. I think that you wind up getting some late game following Indiana. They shoot 68.5% the free throw line. Not great, not terrible. So taking a look at the over, and I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Minnesota. 823-824, postponed game between UW-Milwaukee and Detroit, so we go to 825-826. Quinnipiac, the Bobcats, hit the road to face off against Niagara. Niagara is between a 3 and 3.5 three and point favorite with your total, and between 137.5 and 138, seeing mostly threes out there, and I'm willing to lay a three in this spot. At 3.5, I would likely be willing to lay it with Niagara as well. This is a little bit of a revenge game, as both of these two teams wound up squaring off about two or so weeks ago, and it was Quinnipiac who was able to get the W in that game by kind of 77 to 68 in that game. Quinnipiac just could not miss from three-point range. They wind up going 11 of 24. I just don't see a repeat performance happening for the Bobcats. You take a look at them overall for the season. They shoot about 35% from three, so it's not like they're terrible or anything like that. Matt Blanich has been able to give you right around 16 points per game in that contest. He did not wind up appearing in it and has not appeared, as a matter of fact, for about a month, so that is something that needs to be factored in, especially if he winds up missing this game. Where else are you going to get the scoring? Because you've got one guy that's averaging more than 10 points per game. That'd be Kevin Marfo. He's going to be the best low post player in this game. 10 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists per game, so he does a good job of passing for a big man. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Jacob Bergoni. He's been able to give you right around 7.5 points per game, but that sound from past year, Savion Lewis has not taken the floor since December 5th as well, so this is a little bit of a banged up Quinnipiac team that wound up having a good 3-point shooting day in that one. Niagara, they're a bottom 25 team in the country with regards to pace of play, and I do think that they're going to be able to do a better job of being able to slow this game down. Jordan Sintron in that game that they wound up playing a few weeks ago had 14 points at overall. Take a look at him. 10 points, 5 boards per game. He's able to do a relatively solid job with 8 plus points in 4 of the team's last 5 games. He's had 7 plus rebounds in 3 of the last 4, but the big thing for this team, Marcus Hammond. Most versatile player on the court. 17 points, 4 boards, 3 assists, shooting 36% from 3 point range. In that contest, he had 12 points and 3 turnovers. I think that he's going to be a little bit more dialed in. Sam Oreo has a necessary got it going. He played at American along South Alabama. He's only been able to give the team right around 8 points and 5 rebounds per game. I do think that he's going to be able to pick up his overall play. So with Niagara, willing to lay up to a 3.5 in this game. I also do why I'm saying this total at 132.5. You've got a Niagara team that is not necessarily the best on the glass, but they do a very good job of being able to guard the three-point arc. Quinnipiac going 11-24 is just not going to happen again in my opinion. So willing to lay it here with Niagara, and I said this total at 132, so diving under as well. 827, 828 on the betting board. IPFW, it's a road to face off against Robert Morris. Bobby Morris is finding themselves a one-point underdog in your toss game saying we're team 147.5 and 148. Spirited effort from Robert Morris a few days ago. They wound up having their top scorer in Rasheem Dunn. Also leads the team in assists per game. He decided that he was going to 
pretty much leave the program a few days earlier, and they wound up hanging in there to the tune of one point against Cleveland State. I feel like that was a little bit of a fallen man theory in that game in which everyone wanted stepping up. They wound up giving it their all against Cleveland State, and now comes the letdown of winding up losing your top scorer, Mr. Dunn, who was given the team 13 points, 4 assists, shooting 30% from 3. Now, you do have a good sharpshooter in Cam Ferris. He's been able to give the team 10.5 points per game. He's shooting 47.5% from 3-point range, but really past him, you don't necessarily have a whole heck of a lot. Now, Anach Cheeks has been able to step up for the team. He's shooting 46% from 3, 8 points, 5.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists per game, and has scored double figures, and now 4 of the team's last 5, but you don't have a lot down local. Leal Spear, 12.5 points, 7 rebounds per game, and then you take a look at IPFW, and I like what you're able to get out of the Vermont transfer, R.A. Capadia. 10 points, 6 half rebounds, good, true low post player, 5 plus rebounds in 4 of the team's last 5 games. And then you take a look at this IPFW team. They're not shooting from 3 the way that they did last season, but still making about 34.5% of them. They shoot 80% at the free throw line with, out of their top 6 scores, 5 of them shooting at least 77.8%. Jared Godfrey has been able to give you 17 points, 4 boards, 4 assists, 2 steals, stat sheets for shooting 39% for 3. Jalen Pipkins, he chips in there right around 13.5 points per game. And then Damian Chung-Q has been able to emerge a little bit as well. The gentleman that led Mount St. Mary's to the NCAA tournament last season has been able to up his game a little bit. He has been able to give them a combined 32 points in the last three games. Has done a good job with two turnovers or fewer in each out of the last five, while giving out a little bit over three assists per game. And then with Bobby Plantis returning and being able to shoot about 38% from three as a good combo player, I think that Robert Morris is going to be up against it. Robert Morris, not an up-tempo team. Now they have to deal with losing their top score, IPFW, not necessarily a Blazer either, a team that has been dealing with a little bit more streaky three-point shooting than last year as well, so I do wind up saying this sold at 136. I'm diving under of Fort Wayne. I'm willing to lay up to three with them, so laying it here with IPFW, a.k.a. Fort Wayne, and going to be taking a look at the under. 829, 830 on the betting board. Youngstown State is going to be playing with Cleveland State. The Vikings find themselves a two-point favorite, and your tallest game is any team 141.5 and 142. With Youngstown State, this is a bottom 80 team with regards to possessions per game. Cleveland State at their core, they're a little bit more of a defense-oriented team. Robert Morris had a very hot three-point shooting day against them a few days ago. I think that they're going to be able to lock it in, but I take a look at Cleveland State, and I think that the X-Factor for the team, Demoy Hodge, the fact that he's been able to get the team double figures in now four out of the team's last five games, has had two plus steals in five out of the team's last six as well. Now, on the flip side for Youngstown State, Michael Cucci going to be the best rebounder in this game. 13.5 points, 7.5 rebounds, shooting only about 30% for three Youngstown State overall, just about 32% from distance, but I do think that it's a backcourt that is starting to feel the effects of not having Garrett Covington out there. Tevin Olison has been able to shoot about 32% from three. He's given you right around 12 points, 4.5 rebounds per game, so he's been able to do a relatively solid job there. Shamir Rathan Mays shooting 45% from distance, and then Dwayne Cowell, I feel, has been a little bit under the radar. A guy that is able to give you 9.5 points per game. Problem is, his three-point shooting is very suspect at right around 29.5% Cleveland State. This is not a team that they close out tremendously at the free throw line, shooting about 68% there, but I do like Torrey Patton. 13 points, 6 half rebounds, 4 assists, 1.7 steals per game. This is a Cleveland State team that they get 8.8 steals per game. They only turn the ball over 12 times per game themselves. And you've been able to get a little bit more out of Brock Funston, who's been able to shoot about 37% from three-point range, along Trey Gomillion. These two guys are able to combine for about 9 rebounds per game. Gomillion, he has been going for the millions with 42% three-point shooting. So I do think the Cleveland State going to be able to own this game. I think that they're going to do a good job of turning over a Youngstown State team that has been relatively effective at taking care of the ball. Said this total at 130 
135.5. I'm going to be diving under. Let's Cleveland State. Willing to lay up to 3.5, so laying the points. 831, 832 on the banging board. Ryder is going to be hitting the road to face off against Maris. The Foxes are finding themselves as a favorite here of 9.5 points, and your tallest game is anywhere between 131.5 and 132. I'm starting to warm up on this Maris team. I think we've went a little bit too far here. I want to making this an 8-point line, so here at 9.5. Going to be taking a look at Ryder. When it comes to Ryder, I think that they've got just two of the better skill position players that are going to be out there in this game. And Dwight Murray Jr. and then you add Demencio Vaughn. These two guys, they're able to combine for about 25.5 points per game, 13 rebounds. You've got Murray Jr. giving you 3.5 assists per game and Vaughn shoots 38% for 3. Now with Ryder, this is a team that they're coming off of a little bit of a COVID-19 pause last time. They wound up playing against a D1 foe because they did wind up getting a game against a non-D1 team a few weeks ago. That'd be Maris on December 5th. So they are seeing the same team that they wound up seeing a little bit earlier in the for Maris. It's been a bunch that has been able to rise up a little bit. They got their nice overtime win against Boston University, but it feels like this is a team that they can be a little bit teeter-totterish just because they don't don't necessarily have a lot of facilitation. Right now, you don't have a single guy that's averaging more than two assists per game now. Raheem Sullivan has been terrific for this team. He's been able to give the team nine and a half points, red round, two assists, a steal and a half per game, shooting 35% per three. Overall, Maris, they shoot 44% per three, but your top two scores in Joe Atika along with Ricardo Wright. Both of these guys combined to be able to shoot about 42% per three point range. They've been able to give you a combined 27 points per game, but don't have a lot of rebounding. Matt Hermesy, 5.3 rebounds per game, so I do think that Vaughn is going to be able to do a solid job there. And when it comes to Ryder, I just feel like they've got a little bit more size in general. Ajiri Oguamo Johnson has been able to do a nice job being able to give you right around seven rebounds per game. A guy that isn't necessarily a great scorer, but able to do a good job of being able to man things down low. So I do take a look at this spot for Ryder. I do think that they're going to be able to hang in there in the trenches in the paint, so I did wind up saying this sold out at 134. I do anticipate a little bit of late game falling. You do have a Maris team that, they're not great, but they're not terrible at the free throw line. 66.5%, a little bit better at home, but I do think that this is going to be a situation which Ryder, despite the long COVID pause against C1 competition, going to be able to hold in there. Said this sold out at 134. Going to be taking a look at the over end with Maris. Made them an 8-point favorite, so going to be taking a look at the points. 833, 834 on the bang board. Sienna, they're going to be playing those two Fairfield. The Stags find themselves a 2-point favorite, and you're talking this game is 127.5. It has been a while since Sienna has played against a D1 foe, so I do think that that needs to be factored into this line a little bit as Sienna's last game against D1 competition, that was Holy Cross on December 11th. Even prior to the pause, it was a bunch that I wasn't necessarily too impressed with. You do have Kobe Rogers who's been able to give the Sienna team right around 13.5 points per game, so he's been able to do a relatively good job there, but you take a look at the Sienna team as a whole. They're right now shooting about 68% in the free throw line with 15 turnovers per game now. They do shoot 36 percent from three-point range. Rodgers able to shoot 44 percent from three. Jackson Stormo has been able to be down low, being able to give this team seven rebounds per game. Aiden Carpenter has been solid as well. Had been able to give the team nine plus points in four of the last five games. But Andrew Playtech, the Transfer from North Carolina has had his season ended by injury, so you take a look at this Fairfield team. They should be in good position here. you got Supreme Cook, 10 points, 8 rebounds per game. Overall, Fairfield, they only shoot about 33% for 3, but they do a good job of taking care of the ball. 11 turnovers per game, certainly not a team that's looking to gun it by any stretch of the imagination, but Jake Wojcik has been able to give you 92% free throw shooting, 10 points per game. Taj Benning, 10.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists to less than a turnover per game, so he has been able to do a nice job there. And then Asus Cruz has been able to do a good job coming through with right around 7.5 points per game himself. You've got a lot of weapons out there in this fair 
Fairfield backcourt. AAC on a team that hasn't played in a long time. They're now without Andrew Playtech as well, which makes things just all the worse, in my opinion, for the Siena team. I think that Fairfield having the leg up at the free throw line is going to be key as well. I do mind him saying this at 131. I do think that the Siena defense is going to be a little bit lax in this game. You don't have a pair of teams that necessarily play, I would say, at a lightning fast speed or anything like that, but I think we went a little bit too low with this total and with Fairfield. We'll lay up to five with them, so land the points to take a look at the over. Pair of postponed games here. 835-836, Yale, Harvard, 837-838, Evansville, Illinois State. These games are not going to be happening. No money to be made here. So we go to my New York Post play of the day of 839-840 on the betting board, a game that we wound up talking with our good buddy Lucas about. Cincinnati hits the road face off against Memphis. We are on to Cincinnati, who's an eight-point road underdog, and your total on this game is 142, and I made the New York Post play of the day Memphis. I know that Memphis has certainly been dealing with it, and they do have some ailments when it comes to their team. They've got a couple game-time decisions when it comes down to it, but I do think that this team is just too talented to be able to just not be able to find a way. Now, the guys that I'm mentioning that are injured, you've currently got Jaden Hardaway. He is a game-time decision. Jalen Duran is a little bit of a game-time decision along with DeAndre Williams and Landers Nolly the second. Now, we know that Alex Lomax and Chandler Lawson, they are certainly going to be out of the fold. That really doesn't affect things too much. I think that the big key for this team is Duran, a guy that has been able to give you right around three blocks per game, really able to be a disruptor down low, but you know that with Memphis, you're still going to have some of your main pieces out there in the backcourt, and for Cincinnati, this is a team that they do rank 26th in the country with regards to defensive efficiency. That'd be the points allowed on a per-possession basis, but Memphis has been one of the better teams on defense when they've been at home in all of college basketball, and really under Penny Hardaway in general, and for Cincinnati, this has just been an anemic offense. You've got a bunch of which they're shooting as a collective barely above 29% from three-point range, 66.3% at the free-throw line. Now, you take a look at Mike Saunders Jr. has been able to give the team 8.5 points per game. Is able to do all three assists per contest. And this is a team that they only turn the ball over 10 times per game. They don't necessarily force a bunch of turnovers though. And that's really been the bugaboo with Memphis. They've been turning the ball over right around 18 times per game. Now it's been really intriguing to take a look at Imani Bates. He has been banged up. Has not really played since that Alabama game. It does look like he is going to be good to go. And I think that he might be one of the most talented players in all of college basketball. We know that Lester Kionis and Tyler Harris are going to be out there with Kionis. A guy that has been solved for the team recently. Seven plus points in each other team's last five games. Can turn the ball over from time to time. That's always a little bit of an issue. But Tyler Harris, along with Earl Timberlake, these guys are able to do a good job of being able to contribute in their own ways. With Timberlake, more around two and a half assists, four plus rebounds. And Harris, good sharpshooter, 42 plus percent. Even with the injuries of Memphis, I think that they've got the firepower to make a statement here against Cincinnati. Got a Memphis team that ranks in the top 30 with regards to possessions per game. So even though it is a Memphis team that they turn the ball for quite a bit. They do shoot as collective about 35% for three. I think that they get it done on their home court, set them as a 13-point favorite. So I'm willing to lay it here with Memphis. That is my New York post play of the day. And with this total, set it at a 146.5 with that airbrain tempo. Cincinnati has been relatively solid on defense, but they don't force a lot of steals. And I think that this is a really bad spot for them. So take a look at the over and the New York post play of the day. Memphis, 841, 842 on the betting board. You've got Hofstra, and they're going to be hitting the road face off against James Madison. The Dukes are finding themselves in between a one-point favorite to a one-point underdog. Seeing a lot of pick as well. So this is a line that is all over
over the place. And your total on this game, you're finding it anywhere between a 149 and a 149.5. Whether you've got Pickham, James Madison getting a point, or James Madison laying a point, I'm willing to take James Madison laying up to two here. So if you've got them as an underdog, taking them on the money line is what I'm going to be taking a look at. When it comes to James Madison, I think that they should be able to get the job done on their home court with really a wholesale approach. You've got a trio of guys that give you between 10.2 and 11.2 points per game. Vado Morris, Sakal Molson, along Charles Falden. Falden is really the main three-point shooter for the team at 42.5%, but all these guys give you at least 1.2 seals per game. You're also able to throw in there Justin Amadi, who's been able to give you a seal and a half, nine points, five rebounds per game, so he's been able to do a tremendous job with that aspect now with James Madison. They do only shoot 66% on the free throw line, but I've noticed that with this officer team, Zach Cooks, ever since he wound up coming off of injury, just hasn't necessarily been himself. Overall for the season, is able to give the team 16 points per game, but it's seen a little bit of a fall off ever since then. Now with Hofstra, they have been able to shoot about 34.5% from three-point range, 78% free throw line, and Air Nostrada has been terrific. About 14 points, 5.5 rebounds, 5 assists. Now, he only shoots 24% from three, but 96% at the free throw line. And down low, you've been able to have Obiyama Iola, who's been able to give you 8 points, 8.7 boards per game. So, these two guys have been supreme. You've got Hofstra being able to give you 8 steals per game, but James Madison, I think that they're going to do a good job of swarming on this team that has had Justin Ray be able to shoot right around 40% from three-point range. Ray has been absolutely terrific terrific for the scene, but I do think that when it comes to this officer team, that they are going to have a little bit of an issue being able to take care of the ball in general. They don't necessarily have a very deep rotation and they've been dealing with a couple of ailments of their own, so I do think that James Madison will be able to get it done on their home floor. I think that this is going to be a game in which you do wind up seeing some late game falling, but I think that things are going to be a little bit controlled with both of these teams doing a relatively solid job of being able to guard the three-point arc, so I'm going to be taking a look at this total under at 144.5 is where I set my total, and I want to make James Madison, two-point favorite, so taking them as a pick slight favorite, slight, slight underdog. 843, 844 on the bang board. Elon is going to be in the road face off against Charleston. Charleston is finding themselves as a favorite of anywhere between 9.5 and 10 points on your total on this game. is between 153.5 and 154 with Charleston. They rank number two in the country with regards to possessions per game, but I do think that Elon, who's outside the top 200 in that category, is going to be able to slow them down. Darius Burford has been able to chip in there 12 points, 4 rebounds. Overall, Elon does shoot 36 points percent from three and 75 and a half percent the free throw line. The 13 and a half turnovers per game have been a little bit of an issue, but you do have Torrance Watson and Zach Irvin who have been able to combine for right in the neighborhood of about 21 points per game. Irvin has been able to give you four boards per game. Both of these guys, very good shooters at right around 85 percent the free throw line apiece. You got the Hunters, Hunter Woods, Hunter McIntosh. McIntosh has been more of the score, shooting 38% from three, 11.5 points, three assists per game, and then Woods, seven points, five boards, half per game. So, very good versatility there. And then you take a look at College of Charleston, and this is a team that all of a sudden has been able to get a little bit more healthy. Renee Smith has been able to chip in their 13 points, shooting 39% from three, 91% the free throw line, and then John Meeks has been anything but Meek, 14.5 points, five rebounds, two and a half assists, half per game, and then you've got another statute suffer in Demetrius Underwood with 10 points, six half boards, six foot four, a little bit of a jitterbug guy, but the big problem that I do have with Charleston is that they turn the ball over a little bit over 15 times per game. Now, they do generate nine seals per game as well, but you've been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Famir Ali, someone who has been banged up the last few weeks. A guy that has been able to chip in there right around seven and a half points per game. Does a good job of being able to run the offense as well with three and a half assists per game. I do think that Elon is going to be able to hold in there, and I think that Elon is going to be able to hold in there because I think that they're going to be able to slow down a Charleston team that has been showing a little bit more mortalness with regards to their offense 
Some of their overs have come because they wind up going to overtime, and I think that Elon is going to do a solid job on the glass of being able to hold in this game, set this line at 7. So, going to be taking a look at the points with Elon with his total. Made it a 145, so I'm going to be diving under along with Elon catching the points. 845, 846 on the main board. Oakland is going to be playing on CEW Milwaukee. The Panthers are between an 11 and an 11.5 point underdog with your total last game, and between 137.5 and 138. I did want to make it my total 145.5 just because I do think that UW Milwaukee is going to try to get back to their roots of playing a little bit more up tempo, and then you take a look at what you're able to get out of this Oakland team, and we were talking about it with our good friend Lucas, the fact that Jamal Kane is very able for this team. 21 points, 10.5 rebounds, 1.8 steals per game. Now, Oakland only shoots 29% per three, but 77% at the free throw line. 8.5 steals per game is what they generate with each of their top four scorers, giving you at least 1.4 steals per game. Micah Parrish, 10 points, 7 boards. He has not been a great three-point shooter, but has been an 82% free throw shooter. Jalen Moore, 8 assists per game. Led all of college basketball in that category last season. He's putting up 15 points per game. Lon Trey Towson was able to give you 15 points, 6 boards, a block and a half per game. So Oakland, their front line is just absolutely massive. Then you've got a UW-Milwaukee team that's dealing with an injury to Pat Baldwin Jr. once again. Wound up trying to give it a go against UW-Green Bay about a week or so ago. Was limited to 11 minutes. He's out of the full once again. So that means it's going to be DeAndre Golson. He's been able to get the team 15 points, 5 rebounds, a seal per game. But UW-Milwaukee only shooting about 30% from 3-point range. There are Coach Pat Baldwin, actually the father of Pat Baldwin Jr., has not done a good job with this team that is handicapped in this as well. Joey St. Pierre, 6.6 rebounds. He does give you one and a half blocks per game, but you need more out of someone like a Vin Baker Jr. He's only been able to give you right around four points per game now. Has emerged a little bit lately. Has been able to give the team a combined 29 points in the last three games, but he's one of these guys in which is very inefficient, shooting 12.5% from three-point range. Josh Thomas has been able to give you 12 points per game as well, but he has been a little bit banged up. I do think that Oakland should be able to dominate this game on their own floor, set Oakland as a 13.5 point favorite. I'm willing to lay it here. I do think that Oakland going to be able to take it to a UW-Milwaukee team that wound up giving up an 85 spot on Friday. So taking a look at the over and one to late here with Oakland as we go to 847, 848 on the banking board. Towson is going to be playing us to Northeastern. Northeastern is finding themselves as a 7 to 7.5 point underdog in your tallest game and between 133.5 and 134. And I am now really out on this Northeastern team. I wound up saying them as a 9.5 point underdog personally. I do like what I'm seeing out of the Towson Tigers. Towson was dealing with some injuries at the beginning part of the season. Now they've got all their guys back out there. Antonio Rizzuto along with Jason Gibson. Both of these guys are very solid. They both give you a combined about 18.5 points per game but they combine to shoot 42% from three-point range. You've got Cam Olden who is one of the more underrated pieces in all of college basketball. It comes in from UT Martin. 14 points, 9 rebounds, 2.7 assists, 1.6 steals per game while shooting 40% from three. Overall Towson shoots 35.5% from three-point range. Really the headliner for this team has been Nicholas Similar. Like right around 14 points, 5 boards, shoots 41% from three-point range, so he has been tremendous. You've been able to get a little bit more rebounding recently out of Charles Thompson. He's able to give you eight points, five boards, has had a combined seven blocks in the last two games as well, and then you take a look at Northeastern, and turnovers have really been the name of the game for this team. They turn the ball over 14 times per game. They've been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Shaquille Walters. Walters has not played since December 12th. Looks like he might be out of the fold once again. Guy that's able to give you 13 points, five boards, two and a half assists per game, so that is very critical. Also, 
42% three-point shooter. Now, they've got Tyreek Scott Grayson back in the fold, a guy that's able to give you 12 points per game. He has been able to chip in there 15-plus, and now each of the team's last three. So, he has been able to do a nice job of being able to light it up there, but also has given the team a combined eight turnovers in the last two games. So, that is a big-time issue for this team. Chris Jordy down low has been able to give this team 11 points, nine and a half rebounds per game. So, I do think that he's going to be the best sheer rebounder in this game, but I take a look at the versatility of Towson, coupled with the fact that Northeastern, just late in games, has not been able to execute. They turn the ball over too much and are dealing with injuries. I think that it's a rough spot, and Towson has been one of the better teams at being able to slow things down in all of college basketball. Northeastern, they're in their happy place when they're looking to really slow down the tempo as well, so I did wind up saying this total 125 and a half. I'm willing to take a look at an under, and with Towson, one lay up to nine and a half with them. Pretty much anything that single digits, I am in, so we're going to be looking to lay it here with Towson, and I'm going to be taking a look at an under as well. 849, 850 on the banging board. Washington is going to be hitting the road face off against Colorado. Colorado finds themselves an 8.5 point favorite, and your total on skin, you're getting it at a 139 when it comes to this Washington bunch. It has been very fascinating to watch them, to say the least, because they wind up pulling off an outright win against Utah a few days ago, so that was very solid for the team, and then you take a look at Colorado, and they were able to get up off the mat. They were able to knock off Washington State as well. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a tough one for Washington, having to go from Utah to Colorado. Just really tough. The mountain road trip in the Pac-12 is one of the toughest that you're finding in all of college basketball, which is why I did wind up making Colorado more on a 9.5 point favorite. With Colorado, not necessarily great three-point shooting, but Evan Batty is able to give you 13 points, 4.5 boards. He's shooting 55% from three-point range. Eli Parquet is able to chip in there 7.5 points per game. He's not necessarily the world's greatest facilitator, but holds on to the ball well. Only about one turnover per game, and then Jabari Walker, son of Samaki Walker, 13.5 points, 8 boards per game, so he's been able to do a nice job there. And then when it comes to Washington, you've got Terrell Brown, who's going to be the best peer scorer out there on the floor. 21 points, 4.5 rebounds, 4.3 assists, 2.5 steals. Problem is, he shoots 21% from three, and overall, Washington shoots 66.7% free throw line, 30% from three. Washington actually ranks in the top 10 in all of college basketball with regards to possessions per game. Down low, Nate Roberts has been able to give you right around six boards per game, but you take a look at him. He has played fewer than 10 minutes in now three of the team's last five games. He has been able to chip in there a hearty four points and eight rebounds in the team's last three contests. So, he has been a complete and utter no-show for this team. You take a look at Washington, and I just don't know what to expect out of Dejon Davis, who's been able to give you eight and a half points. Does ship in there 2.2 seals per game, but really not a guy that's been able to give you a lot on offense. You've got Jamal Bay, who has been able to shoot about 34% from three-point range, but he's shipped in there nine points or fewer in four of the team's last five games. Evan Matthews, the guy from West Virginia, 11 points, five boards, not necessarily a great three-point shooter, so I think that this is going to be a flat spot for Washington in one of the toughest road trips that is out there in all of college basketball. They wind up saying Colorado as a nine and a half point favorite was willing to lay anything of single digits here. And when it comes to this total, set it out one. 43. Colorado has had a little bit of a tough time with their offense. I do think that that game against Washington State was able to spear out a little bit of a run for them. I think that they're going to be very good from that aspect moving forward. So I'm going to be taking a look at an over and a mona later with Colorado. As we move on to game number 851, 852 on the betting board, you've got Ohio State and the Ohio State University is going to be playing against the Northwestern. Northwestern finds itself a 7.5 to an 8-point underdog in your tallest game is anywhere between 139.5 and 149.5. And made Ohio State an 8-point favorite. So willing to lay the 7.5 here and an eight, I'd be willing to lay it as well, but eight is really that breaking point for me when it comes down to it. I do think that you're going to be able to have a very good showing in this game from EJ Liddell. Liddell has been one of the top players just in all of college basketball, and a guy that I think deserves some consideration for player of the year because you just take a look at him and he's been able to give the team 19 points, seven and a half rebounds, only shooting about 32% from three-point range, has been in a little bit of a rut recently in that he has scored 15 points 
points or fewer in now five other teams last six games. But when that's your rut, you know what? You're doing pretty darn good. Zed Key is able to give him some off nine and a half points, six rebounds per game. I think that's going to be a tough time for Northwestern down low. Though Northwestern does have Pete Nance, who is right around six foot ten, is able to give the team 16 points, seven and a half rebounds, shoots 43% from three. Overall, Northwestern, they shoot 36% from three, 75.5% the free line with 8.7 turnovers per game. So they're very efficient there. Chase Odish is back. He's maybe give the team 10 points. Has yet to get it going with regards to his three-point shooting, but you take a look at this Northwestern team, and among your top seven scorers, six of them should at least 76.6% at the free throw line. That includes Mr. Ryan Young, who's been able to give the team 10 points, four and a half rebounds per game, and Boo Booey, 15 points per game, only 2.3 turnovers and nearly six assists per game, but I do think that with Ohio State, they're going to be able to get just enough in the backcourt. I like the way that Malachi Branham has been able to come on. He combined 48 points and 11 rebounds the last two games, and then Michi Johnson is someone that you want to be taking note of as well. A guy that has been able to get the team six plus points in four out of the last five games. I think that he's going to have an impact on this game, giving you right around a steal per game as well. So he's been a good glue guy out there in the backcourt. I think that Ohio State going to be able to roll on their home court, willing to lay up to eight with them. And when it comes to total, I think that's going to be a little bit more of a control game. Northwestern, they're a mid-tempo team, not necessarily fast, not necessarily slow. Ohio State, I think, is going to be one of the top defensive teams in all of college basketball and it's all said and done. You've got EJ Liddell giving you three blocks per game. So take a look at it under. Set this at 134.5 and, and one delay up to eight here with Ohio State. 853, 54 on the betting board. You've got Montana hitting the road face off against Montana State. Montana State is finding themselves as a three and a half to a two point favorite and your total on game it is between 137 and 138 actually seeing two and a half and three right now and when we wind up getting to three that is my buy point on Montana. I wound up setting this line at two and a half so looking for a three or more but I'm willing to take Montana Montana in this spot. With Montana, I like the way that Cameron Parker has been able to take hold of this offense. A guy that set a record a few years ago for most assists in a game by a D1 player at 24. I mean, this is someone that I feel like should be taking a couple more shots because he is relatively efficient with it. He's been able to give the team 8 points, 6.3 assists, a 1.9 turnovers per game, shooting about 33% from 3, 88% free throw line. And for Montana, they shoot 82% the free throw line in a tight game. You're able to feel very good about their free throw shooting. They rank in the top 5 in all of college basketball with that that aspect. Josh Bannon is able to give the team 12.5 points, 8 rebounds, good versatility in that. He shoots 42% from 3 at six foot nine, and then Robbie Beasley is able to shoot 39% from distance while giving the team right around 9-10 to 10 points per game, and then for Montana State, you've got to love Jabriel Bello down low. 14.6 rebounds, best pure low post player in this game with a block and a half per game. Amin Adamu is able to give you 11 points per game, and then Xavier Bishop, the X-Man, is able to give the team 4.7 assists, 12.3 points per game. What I think is going to be intriguing is are you able to get a little bit more out of Raekwon Battle and Nick Gonzalez moving forward? These two guys have been able to combine for about 9.5 points per game. Gonzalez has been a solid three-point shooter, but since coming in from Washington, Battle has been a big, giant disappointment. Guy that hasn't disappointed, Tyler Patterson. 9.5 points per game. He's shooting 41% from three. Has cooled down a little bit recently. 10 points or fewer in each of the team's last four games, but certainly has been able to do a solid job out there in the backcourt. But I do think that Montana is going to get things slowed down with regards to their tempo. They rank in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game, but I've been relatively efficient. I do think that Montana is going to be able to get their tempo in this game, so I do like this total under, as I wound up saying, this total at 135, and like I said, set Montana as a 2.5 point underdog, so willing to take a 3 here when it comes to the Grizzlies as we go to our last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit our one extra game, 855-856 is Wisconsin versus Maryland. Maryland is finding themselves a 1 to 1.5 point underdog in your tallest game. It is 134, and with Wisconsin, want to make them a 1.5 point underdog. I do think that this is a really 
really bad spot for this Wisconsin Badgers team. I take a look at Maryland, and they have been playing a little bit more up-tempo ever since Danny Manning wound up taking over, and this is a Wisconsin team that, outside of Johnny Davis, they are not necessarily great. Now, Johnny Davis, if I had a vote for player of the year, he would right now get it. 22.5 points, 7.5 rebounds, shooting 36% for three, 80% the free throw line, ceiling half per game. He does it all for this team, a Wisconsin team that they pretty much lead the country with regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis, eight turnovers per game. They shoot 76% the free throw line, but as a collective, they shoot 29% from three, and this is a team that they just aren't the same when they are away from the Cole Center. Meanwhile, you take a look at this Maryland team, and Eric Aiello has been able to impress me, 15 points per game, shooting 35% from three-point range. Jakeem Hart, he's been able to shoot 34% from distance, 89% the free throw line, nine and a half points per game. You've got a Maryland team that also gets right around three and a half assists, four boards, 12 and a half points per game. A defense, Russell for Maryland, they shoot 74% free throw line, only about 12 and a half turnovers per game now. They don't generate a lot of seals, but neither does Wisconsin and Kudus Wab. I think he's going to be able to run things down low. Nine and a half points, seven rebounds per game. Now, I do like what I've seen out of Tyler Wall for Wisconsin, a guy that's able to give you nine and a half points, five and a half rebounds, has been able to chip in there a little bit over a block per game, but going to need to get more out of Chris Vogt, a 7-footer that only gives you 4 rebounds per game. Chucky Hepburn has been relatively pedestrian this year, 7.5 points, has been able to emerge a tad bit more recently, 9 plus points in 3 of the team's last 4 games, and to his credit, doesn't really turn the ball over, but I do think that Maryland has enough firepower out there in the backcourt to be able to hang in there, I think that Kudis Wahab going to be the X-Factor, so I am willing to take Maryland here on the money line. Set the sold at 131.5, Maryland has been playing a little bit more up-tempo, but I think that both of these teams are going to have a tough time being able to generate their offenses. I think that Maryland does a good job of being able to contain our good friend Johnny Davis and Wisconsin, a relatively solid team at being able to guard the arc. So taking a look at the under and taking Maryland on the money line. Now we hit our one extra game. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306-081-306-082 as we go in rotation order on this one game as we got Lipscomb hitting the road face off against Central Arkansas. Central Arkansas between a 2.5 and, and a 3.0 underdog. Your Toronto's game is anywhere between 155 and a half and 156 for Central Arkansas. Give them credit. They were able to have a nice win against Eastern Kentucky a couple days ago, but for Lipscomb, the cheat code for this team is back, Asan Asadula, and that is massive because they were without him for, I would say, about half the season. Now with them being back, it is massive because this is someone that in the eight games that he's played in this year, 17.5 points, 8.3 rebounds, 1.4 blocks per game, and if you're looking at recent form with him, last game that he played against North Alabama in really is first game playing full minutes, 30 points, 5 assists, 6 rebounds. So, this is a guy that at 6 foot nine is very versatile. Jacob Onyesovic has been able to give you 17.5 points, 6 boards, shooting 54.5% from 3 pie range for a Lipscomb team that they shoot 74% free throw line, 36% from 3. Now, they are committing right around 15 turnovers per game, but keep in mind, a lot of that wound up coming without having out there Asadula. Meanwhile, Central Arkansas they turn the ball over 16.5 times per game and they shoot 30% from 3. Now, to their credit, they do shoot 75.5% the free throw line among their top 5 scores. 4 of them Shoot above 76.5% at the charity stripe, including Darius Hall. Hall's given the team 13.75 rebounds, 2.5 assists per game as a transfer from DePaul. You've been able to get quite a bit of good production out there in the backcourt from Cameron Hunter with right on 12.5 points, 2.7 assists. But the problem is he and Hall combined for 6.9 turnovers per game. I think that that's really going to speak volumes. Eddie Kuyaloud is just not taking the next step forward. Only about 8 points per game. I've been waiting for him to be able to emerge for this team for a few years. And you haven't been able to get a lot out of E.B. Kalintman as well. They will give the team right around 4.5 points per game, but things have been stagnant with him. 
7 points or fewer in 3 out of the last 4 games. Now, to his credit, has been able to dole out quite a few assists recently. 3 plus assists in each of the team's last 4 games. So, they've gotten a little bit of added facilitation out of the gentleman from Sweden. But, I do take a look at Central Arkansas. I think that's going to be a little bit of a flat spot after they wound up having the big win against Eastern Kentucky and Lipscomb. They, I think, are going to be playing much better on defense now that Asadula is back out there in the fold in the two games that he's returned. They have been giving up right around 67.5 points per game after they were getting bludgeoned, giving up nearly 80 without him. So, I take a look at this spot. I think that Lipscomb is going to be able to crank up the defense, set this line at 5 with Lipscomb, so I'm willing to lay up to 5 with them. Set this all at 151 as well, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and that will wrap things up for the Sunday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the VEASAN family of podcasts. A big thanks to our good friend Lucas Harkins, author with Heat Check CBB, for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, got one or two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jaren Squiddy1. Keep in mind, let her see them. They mean it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, and that means that I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.